You're listening to Fence Posts, Foundations for the Christian Life. Fence Posts is a teaching ministry of Pastor Mike Woodruff of Christ Church Lake Forest. Fence Posts, Series 1, Study 1, The Question. Everybody believes in something. Why do you believe what you believe? Hindus believe in reincarnation. Buddhists believe in karma. Muslims believe that there's only one God and Muhammad is his prophet. Naturalists believe that we're hairless apes. Humanists believe that we're inherently good. Mystics believe that there's a spark of divinity in all of us. And atheists believe there isn't a spark of divinity in any of us. Christians believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Agnostics believe that you can't be certain about such things. The Baha'i believe that every religion affirms essentially the same thing and that everyone is right. Everybody believes in something. Why do you believe what you believe? I'm not interested in what you believe just yet. To be sure, what you believe, especially what you believe about God, is enormously important. It colors everything else. But right now, I want to look past the content of your beliefs to the pillars that undergird it. What supports your beliefs? Are your views based on science, or were they inherited from your parents? Did you arrive at them through reason or accept them on the basis of a college professor's endorsement? There are plenty of different belief systems to choose from, and not everyone agrees with where you've landed. In fact, no matter what you believe, millions of people think you're wrong. How do you know you're not? Have you given this topic much thought? Most people have not. In fact, most people's eyes glaze over as soon as the conversation starts down this path. What do I believe? Why do I believe it? I don't know. I'm not a theologian. I'm not a philosopher. I'm, I'm too practical for any of that. Of course, they couldn't be more mistaken. We're all theologians and philosophers. The question isn't whether we have thoughts and opinions about God. The question is, are they any good? And we all hold views about life that silently shape everything we think. What could be more practical? The question is whether we're right in what we think about these most important matters. Is our worldview correct? Does it hold together? Is it true? And how can we be so sure? For the sake of clarity, let's back up and get a running start. We all have a set of beliefs, assumptions about life that are so basic that they cannot be explained by some other idea. For example, if you were to ask a college student why he was taking the classes he was taking, the conversation might unfold like this. You, why are you taking philosophy? Student, to satisfy a humanities requirement. You, why do you want to satisfy a humanities requirement? Student, so I can graduate. You, why do you want to graduate? Student, now rolling their eyes. To get a job, what do you think? You, why do you want a job? Student, so I can make money. You, why do you want to make money? Student, so I can buy stuff. He's now wondering what planet you're from. You, okay, but why do you want to buy stuff? Student, so I can be happy. You, okay, but why do you want to be happy? It's at this point that they just stare. He stated a basic belief. It's relatively unthinkable to him that anyone would ever not want to be happy. These basic beliefs form your worldview. Or to state this differently, Everyone has a set of basic assumptions about reality that are accepted without proof and which color our perceptions about everything. 
It helps assign meaning to experiences and provides a framework for making important decisions. This grid, which Alvin Toffler referred to as our mental model of the world, is not a collection of facts, but a set of assumptions. Think of it as a pair of prescription glasses that bring your world into focus. Everything you know is filtered through these glasses. Remarkably, we're generally unaware that we even have any glasses on. But we do, and these glasses are enormously important. In fact, in the introduction to his book, Heretics, G.K. Chesterton states, quote, There are some people, and I am one of them, who think that the most practical and important thing about a man is still his view of the universe. In other words, his worldview, the glasses he puts on. We think that for a landlady considering a lodger, it's important to know his income, but still more important to know his philosophy. We think that for a general about to fight an enemy, it's important to know the enemy's numbers, but still more important to know the enemy's philosophy. We think the big question is not whether their theory of the cosmos matters, but whether, in the long run, anything else does. End of quote. Our worldview matters. Which leads me back to a very important question. Have you given any serious thought to yours? How confident are you that it's correct? Are you sure that your most basic assumptions about life are true? Those who study this area note that though there are about 6,000 different religions in the world today, they fall pretty neatly into five different worldviews. Atheism, agnosticism, pantheism, polytheism, and monotheism. Atheism is the belief that there is neither a God nor any type of supernatural activity in the universe. This worldview, which is comprised of several distinct subsets, naturalism, secularism, humanism, existentialism, and nihilism, has its roots in pre-Socratic Greek philosophy, but it was not really viable until the scientific revolution of the 18th century began explaining things previously ascribed to the hand of God. Atheism became especially popular in the 20th century when it was advanced by communist parties of China and Soviet Union. It remains popular in Europe. For most of the last 30 years, the philosopher Anthony Flew has been the most popular spokesman for this view. Since he changed his position recently, Richard Dawkins, the author of The God Delusion, and Christopher Hitchens, the author of God is Not Great, have recently emerged to take his place. The second view is agnosticism. This is the belief that ultimate truth is not knowable. The term is also used to those who have not yet decided what they believe, uh, a category that's further divided between those who are looking for an answer and those who are not. But the worldview itself, which is often referred to as dogmatic agnosticism, refers to those who have decided that truth cannot be known. Immanuel Kant, an Enlightenment philosopher, Thomas Huxley, a 19th century biologist, and Bertrand Russell, the author of the pamphlet, Why I Am Not a Christian, remain the most prominent agnostics. The third view is pantheism. This is a combination of the Greek words pan, which means all, and theos, which means God. In this view, God is all, or all is God. It's been popular in the East for several thousand years, being expressed through Hinduism and some forms of Buddhism, and it began to gain a serious following in the West with the New Age movement and Shirley MacLaine in the 1980s. Today, pantheism is embraced by some Unitarian Universalists, by some of the more radical environmentalists, and by others who are embracing a general spirituality of life. The fourth category is polytheism. This is the belief in the existence of many gods. 
supernatural beings that are usually understood to be both eternal and spiritual. In some cases, one deity is superior to all others. Polytheism was common in the ancient world where it was embraced by both the Greeks and the Romans. Today, it's advocated by Hindus, Mormons, some Buddhists, and by many indigenous African religions. Finally, the fifth category is monotheism. This is the belief that there is only one God, an eternal being who is separate from the created world. There are three main monotheistic religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. All trace their genesis back to Abraham and consider the Old Testament, sometimes referred to as the Hebrew Bible, to be sacred. Deism, a subset of monotheism, believes that a God created the world but is no longer involved in managing it. This view was popular in the 18th century but has few adherents today. On the next page, there is a chart which provides an overview of four of the five worldviews present today. Agnosticism is not listed because it's hard to record the final answers of people who do not believe that there are any final answers. I want to give you some of the highlights of this chart. It is focused around answering several critical questions. What is really real? Who am I? Where did I come from? What's expected of me? What happens when I die? How do I determine right from wrong? And how can I be sure of anything? On this chart, we first ask the question, what is real? The atheist says, there is no God, there is no soul or spirit, the cosmos is all there is. The pantheist says, only one spiritual dimension really exists. Everything else is illusion. Spiritual reality is eternal, impersonal, and unknowable. Everything is part of God, and God's is in everything and everyone. All of creation, people, plants, animals, and rocks, are equally divine. The polytheist answers this question, what is real, by saying there are many different spirit beings who govern what goes on. Gods and demons are the real reason behind natural events. Material things are real, but have spirits associated with them. Finally, the monotheists answer this question by saying an infinite personal God exists. He created a finite material world. Reality is both material and spiritual. The universe as we know it had a beginning and will have an end. The second question is, who am I? The atheist says, a purely physical being. The pantheist says, a spiritual being temporarily weighed down by a physical body. Ultimately, man is impersonal and will meld into the cosmic consciousness. The polytheists say that man is the creation of the gods, just like the rest of creatures. The monotheists say that mankind is an eternal, personal, spiritual, and biological being who is made in the image of God. The third big question is, where did I come from? The atheists say humans are the chance product of an undirected evolutionary process. Neither the pantheists nor the polytheists have a consistent answer. Many believe in some sort of theistic evolution. And the monotheists respond by saying mankind was created by an infinite personal God. The fourth question, what is expected of me? The atheists don't have a consistent answer. There are no absolute expectations, though different subsets of atheism may offer some. The pantheists say, that you need to be true to yourself and worship the creation. The polytheists say you need to avoid angering the gods. 
when it comes to the monotheists and the question, what is expected of me? In different ways, all three of the major monotheistic faiths call on the followers to serve God and others. Fifth question, what happens when I die? The atheists say our bodies decay and we cease to exist. Pantheists don't have a consistent answer, nor do the polytheists, though some believe in heaven and others in some sort of reincarnation. The monotheists sort of universally say, I will face God and be judged for my life. The sixth question, how do I determine right and wrong? The atheists say, science provides laws that govern matter, but there is no basis for right or wrong. Values are simply preferences. The pantheists do not have a consistent answer. The polytheists generally say that truth about the natural world is discovered through a shaman who has visions telling him what the gods and demons are doing. Finally, the monotheists say moral values are the objective expression of an absolute moral being. And then the seventh question, how can I be sure or how can I know what I know? The atheist says truth is usually reserved for those things that can be proved empirically. The pantheist says that we look for truth inside ourselves. Both the polytheists and the monotheists answer this question by saying, truth about God is known through revelation. Truth about the material world is gained via the five senses in conjunction with rational thought. Well, that brings us to five questions. You may not have thought about matters of faith and philosophy this way before. That's understandable. Those who embrace the dominant worldview in a culture, which in the United States has been Judeo-Christian monotheism, are often unaware of how differently other people think about life. But as the West grows ever more diverse, you're likely to have a growing appreciation of how many people think about life in fundamentally different ways than you do. This explosion of cultures has a few advantages, but it begs several questions. First of all, why is there so much confusion? How is it that after thousands of years of civilized debate, we cannot reach consensus on basic questions such as what is the good life and what's the nature of truth? Wouldn't you think that by now we'd have figured this out? Secondly, who's right? Is there one God? Ten? No gods at all? Does he, she, or they expect us to pursue pleasure or serve others? Third, is there even a right or wrong answer? Today, many people are mixing aspects of different religions to create their own private beliefs. I'll combine parts of the Bible with a little bit of astrology, a few insights from Oprah's last guest, and a heavy dose of reincarnation. Is this valid? Can we do this? Are we free to pick and choose what we want to believe? Fourthly, does it even matter? Should we let things like this keep us up at night? Is the pursuit of truth really a worthy venture? Or should we just eat, drink, and be merry? And finally, how do we decide? Where do we go to get the right answers? Is it possible to know what we know with confidence? Or are we destined to limp along in some sort of moral and philosophical no man's land? Over the course of this study and the five that follow, I'd like to help you try to answer these questions. But before we jump in, there are a few things I need to be sure you understand. Number one, everyone has faith. I have faith, you have faith, and Richard Dawkins, the prominent atheist who spends his time attacking faith, has faith. Now, I have no problem admitting that I believe in things I can't prove. Perhaps you agree. After all, most religions acknowledge a role for faith, and some, such as Christianity, even celebrate it. 
But perhaps you stand alongside Dawkins and the naturalists, nihilists, and existentialists who join him, in which case you want to go on record right now stating that you do not have any faith at all. Okay, except certainly you'll admit that you have faith in some things. Did you examine the chair you're sitting in before you sat in it, or did you just assume, did you have faith, that it would support you? Are you certain that your cell phone works by bouncing a digital signal off a satellite, or do you simply believe, have faith, that this is true because someone told you it was true? Do you have proof that Madagascar exists? Have you ever been there? Or do you just believe, have faith, that maps the maps that show that it does? Oh, sure, you think. I'll admit to that kind of faith, but so what? Faith in chairs, cell phones, and Rand McNally maps is altogether different than faith in God, miracles, and angels. What you want to argue is that your worldview is rigorously grounded in logic and absent of any religious faith. But it's not. <laughs> there is no view that's based entirely on reason. Every worldview begins with a set of assumptions that cannot be proven. These assumptions are just accepted. I believe that there is a creator who exists, distinct from his creation, and that he has communicated with us in a variety of ways. I further believe that I have good reason for my belief, but I cannot prove it. The atheist believes that I'm wrong, but he cannot prove that I am wrong. After all, he does not have perfect knowledge. If he did, he would be God himself, which would be rather awkward for his argument. Instead, he or she makes the claim from a limited perspective, which means that it is always possible that God exists outside of his or her realm of knowledge. Therefore, the claim that there is no God is an assumption that cannot be proven and must be accepted on faith. Now, I'm hardly the first to point this out. 300 years ago, the German philosopher Immanuel Kant said as much in his classic work, A Critique of Pure Reason. Kant, who I noted earlier was a prominent agnostic, was skeptical of religious things, but he acknowledged that science that is, the study of things which can be measured, would never be able to prove that there was not a dimension beyond measurement. In other words, science cannot be used to prove that science is ultimately true. You're free to believe, as Carl Sagan stated, that the cosmos is all there is and all there was and all there ever will be. But your belief is nothing more than a belief. It's not a fact. Indeed, Sagan's famous quote is really nothing more than a naturalist's statement of faith which means that everyone, including those who say they have no faith, have faith. They believe in something that they cannot prove. Number two, where you end up depends on where you begin. Or, to state this as a philosopher would, your worldview is based on your epistemological assumptions. Now, please don't stop listening just yet. Epistemology is a 25-cent word that I'd like to avoid, but as Mark Twain has noted, Sometimes the difference between the right word and the almost right word is the difference between lightning and lightning bug. Epistemology is the right word. What exactly is it? Epistemology is the field of philosophy dedicated to exploring the foundations of beliefs. It helps us identify how we know what we know. Most epistemologists hold that all knowledge is grounded in an ultimate appeal to one of four sources. Reason, experience, tradition, or revelation. In other words, if you set out to understand why someone believed that 2 plus 2 equals 4, you would discover that they based their belief on reason, experience, tradition, or revelation. And under revelation, that would be because of the Bible or the Quran or a supernatural vision or some combination thereof. 
Those appealing to reason would ground their answer in logic. Those opting for experience would point out that every time they've added two apples to the two they already had, they ended up with four. It's possible, though unlikely, that you would encounter someone who appealed to tradition to make their case. Perhaps they would cite the counsel of their teachers who have, from ages gone by, taught students that two plus two equals four. It's even less likely that you would find someone who appealed to divine revelation for support. But if you did, they might say, I know that two plus two equals four because an angel told me, or I read it in a sacred text. If you decide that reason holds the trump card and you aggressively discount or even completely dismiss the other three epistemological building blocks, then you'll head down one path. If you value experience and tradition but downplay reason and revelation, you'll head down another path. And if you value all four but place divine revelation in the driver's seat, as Jews, Christians, and Muslims have historically done, then the big question becomes, what is your source of divine revelation? The Hebrew Scriptures? The Christian Bible? The Quran? Your primary source of truth always shapes the debate. Point number three. Where you begin depends a whole lot on where you live and when you were born. Many of us do not choose to embrace a particular worldview on the merits of the worldview itself. We simply adopt the views of our parents, drinking it in with our mother's milk, and then update it during high school and college to fit the spirit of the times. Few of us engage in any serious reflection. Few ask, do my assumptions make sense? Do they hold together in a consistent manner? Is there good reason to believe what I believe? Instead, we absorb the views of our friends and family. This is an enormously important and frightening thought. Stop and consider what it means. Millions of people are marching down a path without ever carefully assessing its merits. For the most part, worldviews are caught, not taught. We are a product of our times. People living in the West, that is, those who trace their cultural origins back to Judeo-Christian and Greco-Roman origins, have generally affirmed all four sources of authority. But since the Enlightenment, there has been a real tug-of-war between reason and revelation. Or, as I prefer to describe it, between aided reason, the belief that God has provided mankind with divinely inspired sources of truth to complement but go beyond reason, and unaided reason, the belief that reason stands alone. Some find it helpful to break our past into three epochs. The first is the traditional era. In the days before Greek philosophers and Jewish believers, the actions of a confusing world were ascribed to the gods. Beginning with Abraham, the Jews advanced the idea that God had broken through time and space to provide divine guidance. If you were to characterize this period, the appropriate symbol would be an elderly male religious figure reading from a sacred text. Truth in the traditional era was established by some sort of appeal to an ancient document as interpreted by a tribal elder. The second period is modernity. Beginning with the Renaissance and moving through the Enlightenment, reason, that is, unaided reason, became dominant. People believed what they believed because men and women in white lab coats used the scientific method to prove that something was true. They prided themselves on not accepting anything that could not be verified empirically. The third era is post-modernity. Today, many believe that we have entered a postmodern era, that is, one where experience has replaced reason. They point out that many are now more inclined to trust their feelings than the results of cold logic and suggest that the high priest of this era is the celebrity or rock star. 
Neither religious truth nor scientific fact matter as much as personal feelings. Well, whether the 21st century Western culture or some percentage of it is truly postmodern or not is open to debate. But two things are certain. Our culture shapes which source of truth we're likely to accept, and whichever source of truth we accept shapes the debate. That brings us to point number four. Today, the big question is, is there more than one right answer? One of the reasons many believe that we've entered a new era is because people now think differently about the nature of truth. In the past 30 years, some have started to believe that it's possible for more than one worldview to be correct. For instance, that both atheism and Christianity could be true, or that Jews, Buddhists, and Sunni Muslims are all on the right path. This is a huge shift, perhaps one of the most important in the last 1,000 years. Is it possible? Can there both be a God and not be a God at the same time? Well, the answer depends on your worldview. I'm not trying to be cute. I'm simply trying to show you how important worldviews are. And I'm also trying to make you aware that you are living during a period of significant intellectual disruption. If you'd lived a thousand years ago and asked a European if it was possible for two worldviews to both be correct, you would have gotten some quizzical looks, in part because the term worldview had not been invented yet, but mostly because the theistic worldview was the only show in town. However, once they understood your question, can there both be a God and not be a God at the same time? Their answer would have been, no, you have to choose. Either Christianity is true or it's not. One of the distinctives of Western culture has been a concept called the law of non-contradiction, which states that something can not both be true and false in the same way at the same time. Either you're listening to this sentence or you're not. Either it's raining on the sidewalk right now or it's not. Either there is a God or there is not. To quote the eminent British philosopher Winnie the Pooh, either Eeyore has a tail or he does not. Quote, and how are you, said Winnie the Pooh. Not very how, said Eeyore. I don't seem to have felt at all how for a long time. Dear, dear, said Pooh. I'm sorry about that. Let's have a look at you. So Eeyore stood there, gazing sadly at the ground, and Winnie the Pooh walked all around him once. Why, what's happened to your tail, he said in surprise. What has happened to it, said Eeyore. It isn't there. Are you sure? Well, either a tail is there or it isn't there. You can't make a mistake about it, and yours isn't there. End of quote. For those living in the West over the last 2,500 years, it's been that simple. Either Eeyore has a tail or he doesn't. He cannot both have and not have a tail at the same time. Or, more to the point, either God exists or he does not. The law of non-contradiction has been in place since the time of the Greeks until the recent past. In fact, if you had asked the same question of a U.S. citizen 50 years ago that you asked a European a thousand years ago, you would have heard the same answer. But, and here is an important point, if you ask the same question today, there is no telling what you might hear. In today's pluralistic culture, it's not just that tolerance is valued more highly than being right, it's that many people no longer believe in concepts such as right and wrong. In fact, outside of the realm of science and math, many do not believe that there are any absolutes. All that exists are opinions, and everyone is entitled to their own. This means that in matters of faith, the question isn't whether or not something is true, but whether or not it's true for you. 
Furthermore, it's understood that what is true for you may or may not be true for me. Now, this might strike you as sheer nonsense. What kind of mindless drivel are they teaching our kids these days? Either the donkey has a tail or he doesn't. It may also appear so patently obvious to you that you're wondering why am I running around like Chicken Little suggesting that the sky is falling? Of course everyone is entitled to their own truth. Or were you planning on acting like a typical white male and imposing your truth on everyone else? It all depends on which side of the line you stand on. Now in practice, few people brazenly flout the law of non-contradiction by stating, there is a God and there is not a God. Rather, they claim, there's truth in every religion and it's wrong to judge what others believe. We should be tolerant. And at one level, they're surely right. Not only can we find something to affirm in every religion, but we need to respect other people and protect their rights. But that is not what is being implied. Those advocating tolerance are not suggesting that there is a sliver of truth in every worldview. They're either suggesting that most religions are saying the same thing. In other words, there's a universal collection of truth in the center of all religions, and while we may travel different roads to get there, we all meet in the end. Or they're suggesting that truth is fluid and we have the power to change it. In other words, that in some metaphysically magical way, we are able to decide what is true and the universe will conform. The point I'm trying to make is that we recently crossed a line. How you understand the world depends a great deal on which side of that line you are on. But the line is quite arbitrary. In fact, I think much of the new thinking, while well-intentioned, is nonsense. And in fact, in many settings, it is quite harmful. Which leads to the final point I'd like to make before we begin looking at the Christian worldview. Point number five. I am not a neutral tour guide. I am writing to persuade you. Having already argued that there is no point of absolute neutrality, let me explain my position. I believe in truth. More than that, I believe in the one who has claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. I further believe that the Bible is a divinely inspired book. Few things would make me happier than believing that all roads lead to the same destination. But I don't see how this could be possible. Some say, you only live once and after that you face judgment. Others say, you're born, die, and are reborn many thousands of times. How can we find fundamental agreement between these positions? Some say, there is no God, so do whatever makes you happy because, you only, because once you die, the show is over. Others say, you were created by God and owe Him your allegiance. You should deny yourself and serve others. How can we reconcile these beliefs? I understand that in today's pluralistic culture, where no one worldview is dominant, that it's attractive to believe that everyone is on a good path. That would mean that I don't have to worry about them or about myself. I also understand that at a time when some religion has become toxic and people are willing to kill you if you don't agree with them, that we want to find ways to get along. But I don't see how it's possible to say that mutually exclusive claims are both right. In fact, it seems dishonest and disrespectful to say to people that their most deeply held views do not mean what they believe they mean, but in fact mean the same thing as the exact opposite. When two people fundamentally, when two people believe fundamentally opposing things, it's possible that they're both wrong. But I don't see how it's possible that they're both right. Instead of all roads leading to the same place, different roads lead to very different places. It's foolish to act like that isn't the case. 
If you were walking down the street when a car screeched to a stop in front of you and the driver shouted, my wife is about to have a baby, which way to the hospital? Could you seriously say, all roads lead there, just drive? I hope not. But then, as I noted, I'm not a neutral tour guide. I'm a product of my worldview. And as a result, I not only believe that what we believe matters, I believe it's too important for sloppy thinking. And I'm writing to persuade you. I believe that Jesus Christ is who he claims to be, that the Bible is a special and unique source of truth, and that a loving God desires to enter into a life-changing relationship with you. In the studies that follow, I hope to convince you that I'm right. For some of you, that will require a very unsettling paradigm shift. For the others, the challenge will be less severe. But I hope that in seeing your faith laid out and developed, you will be called to a higher level of devotion to God and service to others. If there's any way we can help you on your spiritual journey, please contact us at cclf.org or email us at fenceposts at cclf.org.